Behold, Jacko Emptor, then. Far from his home and his kin, he is at his work in New York, trying, with his cameraman, to get inside someone's walls. He wears a silly pork-pie hat, of a kind never found in all his Northern Territory father's millions of acres. Though on Jacko's great loaf, a Stetson might look like a pork-pie, He's also wearing earmuffs and a mohair overcoat and a Burberry scarf rustically knotted. The uninformed might say that he dresses in tune with the flippancy of his vocation, the comic but utterly serious business of circumventing doors. The earmuffs and the mohair coat aren't all for comic effect, though. It's bloody cold. Brass monkeys this morning, especially in the cherry-picker bucket which is rising up the face of the Second Avenue apartment block he's chosen for a target. The cameraman and the cable handler, who share with him the cramped bucket of the thing, are both dressed like skiers. The wind is, as it always is around these big city buildings, subtle and circular, a cornering and recurring demon. This is the building he wants to get into, and the cherry-picker, paid for by Sutherland, his implement of entry. If Jacko wants to bring a peculiar, cold astringency to his genitals, he can look down over the waist-high parapet and see the aimed white dish of the microwave truck looking homely, an electronic half more than a hundred feet below. Ecstatic to be trying this new method and drunk with fear, he does, however, in his early thirties, carry a disadvantage— the beginnings of the same gut which, ten years ago, he'd hated in his father, Stammer Jack. He's concerned about how, once he has parlayed entry to someone's apartment, he'll get from the cherry-picker over a fourteenth-floor windowsill. The unwieldy, belly-freezing prospect that morning caused Jacko Emptor to begin muttering his bush mantra— And the man from Snowy River never shifted in his seat. It was grand to see that mountain horseman ride. Through the stringy barks and saplings on the rough and broken ground, down the hillside at a racing pace he went. And he never drew the bridle till he landed safe and sound at the bottom of that terrible descent. "'Give me a break,' said the cameraman when Jacko finished. The man's smoky disdain rose in a cloud above the cherry-picker. He was such a sour bugger, this freelancer. Vixen Six, Basil Sutherland's New York Channel, had used him only once or twice before, and he told you as fast as he could that he had five kids by two marriages. This to explain why he considered some jobs too risky or ill-paid. He wouldn't have been here if poor old Clayton didn't have the flu. Clayton would, of course, try anything Jacko or Jacko's producer Danny suggested, even at the pain of having his camera and his person attacked. Whereas this bloke, anything other than straight camera work in clear weather on a flat surface, and he was up to the corner to call Durkin in the studio and negotiate an extra fee. I'm freelance, was his cry. He doesn't belong to anyone, Jacko had murmured to Danny, his producer. Especially not to himself. Arrived on location this morning, and having seen the cherry-picker rig come down the dawn street, the cameraman said in his tight, convinced-of-malice way, 
No one said cherry picker. And then he was off to the corner. Could have used Danny's phone, but didn't want anyone overhearing his negotiations. Three jobs passed. Jacko had christened him Fart Features. Now the bugger was complaining about the man from Snowy River. That's Banjo Patterson, said Jacko. Great Australian balladist, you ignorant bastard. And Jacko persisted then. He was right among the horses as they climbed the further hill, and the watchers in the mountains standing mute saw him ply the stockwhip fiercely. He was right among them still as he raced across the clearing in pursuit. Then they lost him for a moment where two mountain gullies met. This, Jacko's talismanic verse, was better not intruded upon. He uttered the verse with a big...